I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with an episode featuring four amazing design professionals talking about one of the most important issues affecting not just the design business, but our society today. Following is a panel conversation that took place at the West Edge Design Fair in 2019. I'm always honest with you, and this is no exception. I, I lost a little sleep in advance of recording this panel last October, and now in publishing it, because I wanted to approach this topic with the respect and dignity it deserves. I, I feel now, as I did in prep for this, that we have some incredibly challenging issues, as evidenced by the headlines today. We were witnessing similar issues a year ago, and 10 years ago, and 50 years ago. This is a conversation about the lack of diversity, specifically the lack of di diversity in design and architecture. It speaks to the broader issue, though, uh, that, and you will hear from the get-go that the lack of conversation about this issue is a big part of the problem. You're going to hear a conversation about diversity, or the lack thereof, racism, the great divide, and lack of opportunity. You'll hear frontline stories about issues at play, but you're also going to hear from four highly successful creative designers who bring the fight to the forefront every day. Let's be clear, this conversation is not gonna fix the societal issues we have regarding race, nor is it going to equalize the level of diversity in design, and that's not really why we had the conversation. Let this be the beginning of an open dialogue. I believe the only way to eventually fix societal issues is by having very challenging conversations, conversations that make us uncomfortable. But ultimately, that really is the only way we can understand a foreign perspective, or foreign to us anyway. You're going to hear from four individuals who have achieved the highest levels of success in their field, and with that accomplishment comes a recognition of what it took to get there, how they can offer a hand to help others, and how you can too. I think one of the most important issues to understand, and you'll hear it for yourself, is that there's room for everyone. This is not about bumping anyone out, but making space where there is plenty of room for different voices and new perspectives. That, in turn, makes the industry stronger. It makes our society stronger. This panel is packed with amazing talent, and I am thankful that they agreed to participate. Thank you, Brig and Jane, Bridget Coulter, Ron Woodson, and Brian Pinkett. In this episode, you will hear about exposure, opportunity, education, mentorship, internship, availability, inclusivity, and outreach. I'm extremely thankful for the opportunity to pre present this conversation from the West Edge Design Fair, recorded in October 2019, called Design Diversity, Crafting Our World the Way It Should Be. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zanger a fantastic company and an equally fantastic design partner. While the Walker Zanger brand was built on the promise to inspire designers and architects to do their best work, there's far more to it than that. Yes, that promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But at the heart is a family-owned and operated business that provides stunning surfaces for a well-designed home and does it to make designers and architects do their best work for their clients. Walker Zanger started in 1952, and they are absolutely one of the best trade partners a designer can have. Check out their newest collaborative line with designer Pieta Donovan 
a collection of cement and ceramic tiles inspired by the patterns and colorways of the 1970s and created with a comfortable modernity. Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design, featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create. And they provide homeowners with the materials that dream kitchens and baths are made of. Check out any of their 14 showrooms across the country or shop online, walkerzanger.com. Are we rearranging? Look at this. We're, we're designing on the fly. I love this. I'm a fan of this. We good? Do we like the way this looks now? I love it. See, easy like a Sunday morning. I love this. That's what we do. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the West Edge Design Fair. Thank you for coming. So my name is Josh Cooperman. I host and publish Convo by Design. It's a podcast for the design and architecture space here in Southern California. I have had the rare and unique opportunity to meet and work with all of these absolutely fantastic individuals. And um, when planning the programming for the show this year, I have to back up. This year has been crazy for a lot of us. Um, we've seen a lot of things. We've had friends who are affected by different things. We've seen things on the news that have affected us greatly, and it's made us think. And in preparing for the programming this year, I wanted to do things that would, that would make you think as well, that would give you an opportunity to have conversations that maybe we just haven't had before. In seven years of the podcast, and literally 500-plus interviews, 200-plus panels, I've never heard a conversation about diversity in design. And we had, a, we had a phone call about this very subject, and some interesting thoughts came up. Well, this isn't the place for it. And who's the one to tell the story? If, if not now, then when? If not us, then who? Right? To me, design is all about inspiration. If you are only getting messages from one source, how inspiring can that possibly be? Diversity, in my opinion, is kind of what, what makes the world go round. So I, I wanted to put together a, a panel that is truly unique, truly individual. And um, so I'm trying to think, Brig and Jane, we, we had our interview a couple of months ago. Bridget, I, we met at uh, Legends, uh, on La Siena for the LCDQ this year. Ron, we've known each other forever. Not forever, but it's, it's, been, a, it's been a minute. Um, and, uh, and Brian, we first spoke last year on this very stage. I have a tremendous amount of respect for these individuals. And I will be honest with you and tell you that when putting this particular panel together, um, I was not 100% confident. I was a little nervous. You know, this is a big issue. This is a big topic, and it's important. And it's not, about, it's not about redecorating. And it's not about what's new, what's now, what's next. It's, it's about who we are. What's our story, and what do, how do we want others to see us, and how do we want others to think of us? So with that, we put together a panel with these amazing individuals, these amazing creatives, and I wanted to give them the opportunity and I think you pretty much decided this as well, to tell their stories as they see it. So this is a non-moderated panel. This is a free flow, this is a conversation, and I have been looking forward to it for a very long time. So with that, I am going to, uh, I'm gonna turn it over to you. Brian, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you start. Hello, am I Take on? it away, yes am you I are. On? Okay, great. Welcome everyone. Um, we are very excited to be here today, and 
it's important for us to have this conversation because each and every one of us has come to this place in a different path. And we want to share that with you. And we also want to share some concerns that we have about what's going on in the world today with regard to design and diversity. Um, one thing that we'd love to do is to have your participation. So first question, are there any designers or architects out there? Anyone? Anyone? Yes? Okay, we're going to be pointing to all of you guys first. No, I'm just kidding. Um, thank you for being here. Uh, we want this to be informative for you and to be able to answer questions and have a discussion that's interesting to you. So um, we're not going to wait till the end to say, do you have questions? We'd like to open it up right now, right away, and see what's on your mind and as regard to diversity and design, okay? So we're going to start there. Do you guys want to say anything else before we get this thing going? I might hit up some of my friends in the audience. You guys know who you are. <laughs> yeah. I just would say I want to thank you guys for coming to listen to this panel because right. it is a conversation that um, sometimes can be uncomfortable and I really appreciate Josh's really one thing that's great about him is he loves to learn about people he's truly interested in thought and thinking and design is a really important aspect of our world our whole world is designed and if we're not thinking about diversity and we're not looking at inclusion what are we doing and who is telling our story right and and diversity across the board i, I i'm gonna start with experience here um i've been a designer for 20 plus years, even though I'm only 26. Um, <clears throat> and my background just in life in general, I, I, I hate it when people say, oh, I don't see color. But I grew up in a house, my father was a jazz musician, and we had every nationality, color, running in and out of our house. And I was fortunate at a very young age to be able to, um, my father was in a trio that worked at Doris Duke's house, her personal parties. And so as a kid, I would run up and down the halls of her house. And um, she, when my mother was pregnant with me, um, she bought me my first christening outfit because she liked my dad so much. And so, from a very early age, I was exposed to this grandeur of, of life and design um, that I thought, you know, everybody sort of lived that way or, or had that kind of lifestyle. And um, it wasn't until, you know, being around other family members that I saw, okay, there is a, a disparity. On, on how a lot of different people live. <clears throat> and my parents had to rein me in because I could be a little bratty sometimes thinking, you know, this is, this is the way of the world. And, and it wasn't. Um, and so, I, again, I was fortunate enough to have that background growing up. And so when I started design, I, I had, it was my own style. I didn't look at it as, I'm an African-American man who is in design. I've never had an issue, I don't think, um, that I know of uh, being African-American in the design world. However, I've 
I've seen and noticed clearly, especially when I started, there, there weren't a lot of African-American men. There were more women, and there are more now, thank, thank goodness. But, um, and, I, and not even just African-American, just people of color in general. <clears throat> and um, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't see color. That's, I'm going back to that first mantra that I, I mentioned. And I think my story is, is very broad stroke that I've enjoyed interior design and I've tried to be inclusive of, of all nationalities and try to bring this consciousness of, of diversity to my work. And so I'm hoping, you know, that I can share that I've never talked about that in a setting like this. Because um, it just, I mean, I'm looking out in the audience at friends that I have here, and that subject just never comes up. I'm, they, they like me because I'm Ron, and they like me because I'm, I'm talented at what I do, and, and I'm a good person. But at the same time, this subject needs to be pushed. We need to have more of a conscious effort to see a broader stroke than one perspective. I know that might have been long, but. That's <laughs> perfect. Well, I, I think part of what I hear you speak to is one of the things that I feel fortunate about being in design is that it's really sort of based on art and culture, and it's this visual representation that has always been a great medium for minorities, for very specific cultural elements, because what we do is celebrate the visual. So, you know, in sort of that leadership in an industry, I think we need to follow the way that artisans have, that we have the ability to be seen as human in this world because it's created off of a visual color palette that is inclusive of everyone. So if we can't have this conversation, who can? You know, and and so thank you, and I feel blessed to be here, and it isn't something we have to talk about a lot, and I think that is one of the positives, but um, I appreciate this panel and being a part of it. Okay. Um, does anyone have any questions or comments at this point? We'd love to hear from you when you read Diversity in Design. What came to your mind at that point? Does anybody want to share? Please, we got a mic coming. Hold on one second. So when I was looking at the program and going through all of the other panels and everything, I saw no, no diversity. So it has to be more than on one panel. It has to be spread across the whole program with West Edge and everywhere else. It can't just be we put them in a room, we talk to them, and we did our diversity for the year. No. When I look at that program, it should be diverse and all kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Please. I'm wondering is when you're designing, do you consider in California our fires? Are your buildings designed to maybe with certain types of materials that could slow or protect the home? You know, here in California, I didn't know if that was even thought about when you're designing property. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you understand my, my I do understand your question, John, and I want to just be clear. So when you read diversity and design, that was the first thing that came to your mind. Okay, so the, with the fires, it's come up. So with just to, let's touch on the fires because this is it's this travesty. It's unfortunate that we live in this amazing place, and every year we're we have to watch our backs for these fires. And sometimes they're accidents, and sometimes they're actually set. Um, but to answer your question, there are materials that you can use to sort of repel, but there's nothing that's going to stop. The heat of a fire, as it's coming through a forest, it's, it's, almost, it's impossible. It's, it's mother nature. It's not nothing you can really do to stop it. So working with the fire department, there are things that we do as architects that are preventative, like cutting back the, the shrubs and the landscaping to keep the... But the embers fly, and if they catch the roof or something like that, it's, it's really tough. And um, I commend the people that stay at their homes and try to fight it, but at the same time, there's nothing more important than your life, and it's not worth it. It's material, you know. What we get to do up here is actually fun. We get to live our lives through you, with you, as we work on your projects and realize your dreams. So um, there's no material thing that's more important than the human life. So thanks, John. Can I ask one question back to, the, back to the, the young lady's question? With regard to that, with regard to diversity in design, panels like uh, events like this, maybe other domestic events, maybe Maison, Salone, what do you see? You, you've all been around. Do you see diversity? Do you ask questions about inclusion? Do you, do you feel maybe like you shouldn't? How do, what do you do? Is it, a, is it an issue that, that you want to see pushed? So I'll go. Um, there's diversity wherever I go because I'm there. Okay? So that answers your question. Um, there's a level of comfort that we give to our clients and the people that we're dealing with to one, let them know that we're capable of doing what we are capable of doing without the color or without the, the background or baggage that some people might bring. Fortunately for us, uh, the people that are attracted to us they don't necessarily see that color. And the people who are here, I would imagine, are interested in having this conversation because they want to have more of this conversation so that it spreads throughout the country, right, and the world. So um, I think, obviously, in this day and age, with what's going on with our president and the political scene, we need to have more conversations about it. And it's going to be up to us and people like you, Josh, who produce these events to really bring it to the forefront. And I think to the young lady's point is that uh, idea that it should be, it should infiltrate everything. It's a diverse world we live in, but there is this sense of exclusivity. And in my mind, that's broken down by media, by perception, by social media, and what we put out there. And I know I've been approached for projects 
to do a cover on a magazine or um, somebody looking at a project. And, and I've been told things that where I've seen something similar and um, uh, sometimes there's a resistance or there's a story that they want to tell that you don't fit. And then there's other stories where they want to tell that you fit, but not just fitting you in the diversity story, but just treating you like a designer. And my experience, I've been doing design for 15 years, um, and I have that experience of, I'm a multicultural black woman, and I've traveled, and I've been very lucky, and like what Ron said is your background and your story, and all of that filters who you are as an artist. And I've been lucky to grow up in this craftsman home in Berkeley and uh, come down to Southern California, live in Africa, in London, and I've lived around the world. And that filter, it, it informs my work. And I think that the people who hire me or who are drawn to my work feel this global collected thing, this flavor and texture that they want and that's part of them. They're traveled. And I don't think we have the color conversation, although I'm very, like, yeah, I, I'm who I am, and I'm very proud, and I think it makes me um, uh, better at what I do. And, and I think that that conversation of not seeing color is uncomfortable to me, because I actually want you to see my color, and I'm proud of it, and it's part of me, just like you want me to see that you're a woman, or y if you're very proud of your religion, you're like, this is part of who I am. We, we listen to our clients, and we want to make sure we're reflecting them as well. Right. I think one misnomer um, sometimes that people have, and you speak about diversity, is, okay, we've got a, a panel of all <laughs> African Americans, um, and sometimes people will think, oh, they're just going to want to have African art in the design that, that they're going to put in my house. Completely not true. And I've, I've talked to some of my Asian counterparts um, about this subject, and, and some have said the same thing. It's like, okay, I'm not coming, and I'm not going to be putting all Asian art in your house. Um, so, but sometimes people have this perception. I've not had it, but... Um, it, it is something that I think sometimes people should take a look at. You, you can't pigeonhole a, a group of people who are not the majority that they're, they're going to do and, and design one particular way. And because clearly if you look at the breadth of work that I have done over the years, I mean, it's kind of all over the board, but um, there's, a, there's a common thread. I mean, I just like good design and I like glamorous design. And to me, that has no face, no color. No, I just like good design. And, and that's where it ends. And, so, and I think that's how it should be looked at. Um, but at the same time, you know, more people of color should have inclusion and sometimes I, I think younger African Americans I mean because I, I get people young designers who have reached out to me for a long time I'm, I'm a mentor to a, a lot of them and you know some of their stories are, are, are varied and they some feel um, how can I start I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be accepted and it's like no 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 you're, you're you got to get out there and your work has got to be what is going to propel you. 
you, you can't sit back and say, well, I'm African-American and they're not going to like me or they're not going to like my designs. Um, you just, you got to push. Mm-hmm. Very good. We had another question over here. Hi, I, I'm gonna, I work more in the commercial space and on the construction side mm-hmm. of uh, the design build world. And I will say that it's a bit of a different story in that realm because when you get into larger firms and in the larger capital projects very often, uh, I get a sense that you do feel that resistance and certainly intersectional issues of being a a black female where you are second guessed quite a bit. So um, despite having the education and as you get progress more and more the experience in the field. So I do think there are some challenges in which we do have to keep pushing. I think uh, on the residential side, social media has helped leaps and bounds in terms of helping uh, African-American designers and other uh, designers of color tell their story and to get more entree into publication space. Because if you look at the history of LA and some of the buildings that have been built in the designs, we have a large gap in that participation of African-American architects in building large commercial spaces. And you have to sit back and say, well, why do we have this gap? Why aren't they not you know, getting those jobs? Mm-hmm. So interesting to me. Yeah, I think one of the things that I find as a young African-American woman is most of my clientele is middle-aged, Caucasian, and male. That's who pays me. That's what I grew my female-based company <laughs> off of. Um, and I think that it, there's a lot of leadership opportunity being in a minority position in anything because you understand the responsibility of standing up for what isn't popular or common thought or seems outside of the box, right? So I find that I'm constantly pushing my boundaries on cultural references that I want to bring into design elements. And if I'm like, I'm too scared to, you know, use this Cuban thing or this Tongan thing because I might not know every inch of it, I notice that I push myself a lot in doing what's uncomfortable because I think at a certain level, that's why we're not seeing enough of it. People are always scared to merge what they don't know and they're afraid of asking the wrong question or offending somebody or... And when you do that, that creates the division. I think all of us see the word diversity and we're scared of it to begin with because it, it comes with this divide Whereas we are in an artistic, you know, medium, good design pushes the rules. Like when we walk through here and we see all of the things that we love, it's because they're a little unusual, not because it's the common norm. So I find that this is a great place to be in in sort of celebrating diversity. And I think that a lot of times that person, or for me on the commercial side, they are longing for somebody to push them in what 
you know, their building looks like, and they might not be the representative to do it. So they depend on designers to sort of bring in this habitat that, you know, is just in New York City. And you look at the amount of people interacting with a space, and as a designer, I want that to feel the same no matter what age, race, you know, you are. And so when you're creating a space that's inclusive of everyone, especially in commercial spaces, you want a representative who's not gonna be afraid to include everybody. And, and I think that puts a lot of responsibility on all of us as humans to create habitats that work for anyone. Mm -hmm. And I think to add and more tie into what you do is that uh, as designers, we're comfortable with who we are, where we come from. And so when people push, we don't push back. We just listen and let our work speak for itself. And if they're not interested in looking or seeing our work and what we're doing, that's, that's on them, not on us. Because we're committed to giving our very best each and every time. So that might help apply to your situation. I mean, I, that's how we approach our projects. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I have a business partner who is blonde and uh, she's, she's half Italian, half Mexican. Um, and I've seen, far as diversity, I've seen her have more problems, especially with contractors. You know, she's, she's very glamorous, and you know, I, those that really know her, she wears heels all the time, and, you know, we, she goes on job sites that way. And, you know, some of these big burly contractors want to challenge her, and she's not to be messed with. Um, she doesn't play. And, but I've seen where she's had more challenges than I thought I've ever had far as any type of resistance. Um, you know, this, this little lady is not going to tell me what to do. Um, and I, I've seen that where contractors, for the most part, will gravitate toward me first, because um, we work on every single project together. And we both protect one another and um, we don't let that happen. Um, but I can see how, what you're saying, um, I, I think too, in certain levels of design, I think it's, it's, it's more sexist than um, the division of, of, of color has been more my experience. That, that I do design build at the same time, so I know that experience and having a contract, but because I am the client in the project, I have my clients and my design build, it's, it's I don't know, maybe I enjoy a little bit of the, the um, came onto a project and I'm knowledgeable. We, we also all have achieved a level of excellence for hard work and as, as you probably heard, people of color tend to rise very high to the top to be visible um, and I, had someone come in and immediately fold his arms, darling, how oh, high, darling, where's the, where's the person? Like, who can I talk to him? It's like, ah, I, you know, um, I'm the person. Well, what do you know about roofing and this? And 
I, I know enough. I'm not, I'm not a roofer, but uh, I do build houses. And um, by the end, and he had a uh, Mexican-American assistant who was with him who was just like looking. Um, this is just an experience, probably similar to things you've faced in the commercial space. Um, and he starts to giggle because the guy says, I just say to him, I, I'm actually trying to hire you and pay you money to do a job that I respect you know about, but I won't be talked to that way. I'm really not your darling. Oh, one of them. And <laughs> if I wanted a wife, another ex-wife, I would, you know, just those things that you hear, but I, I just take it as a business. And uh, I said, you know, I'm probably not going to be able to hire you because you probably don't respect, you know, I've done these drawings that you're supposed to. And his um, assistant was just kind of giggling and... Uh, those are experiences you just go through, but as the boss, you just find people. You can't necessarily educate everyone, and not everybody wants to learn. He's set in his ways, but the people that I do work with are, I feel very lucky. They're very wonderful, and they just want good work. They just want us to do good work. So it's an inclusion thing, and it's not just, like you said, it's not just black and brown, and, and diversity is, uh, you know, physically handicapped. There's so many different levels of people who aren't seen and are doing work. So I think this conversation is important and acknowledging people's experience. Yeah, and, and the reality is, you know, we grew up in a time where it was changing, right? Everyone's talking about how the divide is, is shrinking, but the reality is it, it never has really. And for me growing up, like I went to 10 different schools. I grew up in the ghetto. Went to 10 different schools, made it to Ivy League. And along the way, I'm sure, I didn't see nearly half of what was actually being thrown at me because I couldn't. I couldn't be bothered with it. I had to be focused on getting to where I needed to be so that I could get out and be successful. So. People are pulling you down. It's like crabs in a barrel. You know, they're grabbing you as you're trying to get out, and you just got to keep marching forward. And a lot of times, you just have to forget about what happened, kind of block it out of your mind, and just keep going. Keep working hard. Stay later. Stay longer. Do more to be successful. And that's just the reality of the world. Yeah. Question. Um, sort of circling back on the exposure and media. As the associate publisher of Interiors California Magazine, super proud of Brigham's, what, six pages in there this, this month? Absolutely beautiful. If you want to see it when you leave, there are copies on your chair. Absolutely wonderful. Do you feel challenged by the amount of coverage that you get? Do you feel that being of color, you have to work harder? Do you feel that the editors don't necessarily seek your stories out? Not even like there's a, there, maybe not as a intentional snub. Maybe it is, I don't know. But do you feel that you don't get exposure because of that? I have to say I haven't, I, I haven't felt that. And we've been in over now probably 70, 80 publications around the world. Um, but again, it goes back to the work has spoken for itself. Um, and, and that, I think, has been the driving force of why our work has been published. It's just the work, not 
who Jamie and I are. Um, yes, we tout ourselves as being nice people, but um, the work is, is what really drives where we've gotten. I think it's a good question. I, um, I'm actually seeing a bit of a shift in publication where the work isn't as important to the publicist as who it was for. Popularity, celebrity, they're moving to the top of the list more and more. Luckily for us, we have some of those clients, so it supports us, but when a really good project gets pushed off to the side because some celebrity wants their house in the magazine, that's when it becomes a problem. At least I believe it's a problem because now you guys aren't really getting the quality of the work. You're just getting this story. So everything becomes a tabloid. You know, Instagram, the magazines, everything is, you know, TMZ. You know, that's not really a way to, to learn and grow as a culture. So. That's what I'm seeing. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I find that I think one of the things about sort of the visual representation of what a designer is versus actually working and build and design, like I, cross-culturally design really sort of is a global thing. Textiles are global, influences are global. So we sort of are, I think, this great representation of something that's very accepting, but then we've all been to the marketplaces and we see that there's not enough in leadership roles, I think, that are representative of all the visual artistic elements that we see that are so stunning. So I think that there's still a challenge in sort of that, like more of us in across the board and yeah. a bunch of different colors. But the nice thing is, is that the end result is celebrating, I think, a lot of us and a lot of different visual mediums because that's what creates good design. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to just speak for a second on the, on the build side, I find it very interesting that I think one of the things that design brings is that there is a lot of minority that supports the entire industry. And so there is a standard of Spanish on construction sites or I get my stone from Italy, so I'm going to deal with Italians. There is this sort of base to what we do in the industry that we're in that allows us to crisscross a lot more. And I think it does pave the way for this industry to be a leader in this conversation because everyone has to deal with somebody that looks different if you're gonna be in design, whether that's making a custom table or importing something. And I think that's a positive. And I, I think, think it's great. even more important, you see that more here in Los Angeles than other places. I mean, colleagues around the country are, they always marvel over what we can do in Los Angeles because literally we don't have to leave here. We can have <laughs> anything yes. made here in Los Angeles. And artisans, as you said, I mean, I have them across the board here in Los Angeles. I mean, I've, everybody makes something. Um, and you don't, you don't, they don't get the recognition um, a lot of times, because fortunately it's 
well, not maybe fortunately, but it's our designs, and a lot of them are behind the scenes, and we get the credit for it. Um, so you don't, those artisans aren't really seen and spoken about. Yeah, and I think to speak to leadership, I think leadership in representation is you, you tend to reflect what you know and who you know. So the more that we have conversations and this is pushed forward, the more change happens. And in the art world, I'm, I'm incredibly impressed. And when I was at Armory New York, I thought, is this a black art show? I was, mm -hmm. I, I was like, I don't remember Armory being this, but, but it really is a, a movement towards just good work and interesting work and compelling work. Um, so if those galleries are taking an, an artist and they're placing them in these shows, they're gonna be seen. And that's the equivalent of us getting a magazine or a cover. And I don't, uh, to answer your question, Josh, I feel like I was warmly welcomed in the press world. And, it, it got overwhelming. It's like, oh, yeah, I have to hire a press person because I was designing furniture and textiles. And, and there's just a hunger for this kind of change. I, I literally stopped press a few years ago because I couldn't work. So I think had I, you know, I just was like, I just need to go back and, and be a worker bee. I'm more comfortable there. Um, but I also know that th I was excited about this panel because we have to, we have to be seen and people have to know this is a career. It's something I've done since I was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. I've remodeled my parents' houses on uh, graph paper <laughs> and, and I didn't know it as a career. So if they see that this is a career and it's pretty wonderful and er all, everyone here's work is I'm a, a big fan of and uh, honored to sit on the stage with, but at the same time you were talking about mm -hmm. mentorship and mm -hmm. being seen and that's another part of visibility that's incredibly important is that they see excellent work happening by a diverse group of people. I think it goes back to what you were saying about social media that social media has really helped um, up-and-coming designers uh, of color um, to show their work, to, and for them to have an outlet to reach out to others. Like I said, I, I, I get direct messages all the time on Instagram, and I answer every single one of them. And one right now is an intern of ours who is actually going to be a full-time employee, but she, she reached out on, on Instagram, and she does great work, and um, we love having her around. Along those lines, I think it's really interesting, when we had our call, you know, Brian, you knew at a very early age what you wanted to do. Bridget, you knew at a very early age what you wanted to do. Brigham, I think, you know, we talked, and you kind of found your way, and Ron, you've been around creatives your entire life. I was speaking with Gene Brownhill. Uh, but I found my way, too. I didn't huh? start in design. I found no. my way as well. Yeah. Um, and I was speaking with Gene Brownhill, CEO of Sweden, on Friday. And it reminded me of the conversation that we had where she didn't know at an early age about architecture and design, build. And I think it's interesting because young people of color, it, it's, it's, I grew up in a, in a house of... of significant architecture. You know, when you talk to people, neighborhoods of significant architecture, it may be, they know what it is. We talked about not having access or providing access to youth. Where do you think that starts? And what do you see? And I know that each of you have, have expressed some level of participation. I find that really interesting as well. Care to share? Again, going back, I was very fortunate that um, I had 
family that really exposed me. Um, but I saw the, the difference within my family, other family members, cousins, and that kind of thing that were not as exposed as I was. Um, my, my parents were able to afford a nice lifestyle for my sister and I. And um, it, it, I think, ex, again, exposure um, at a very early age. Like you said, I, was, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was redesigning my parents' house when I was, I mean, my father traveled a lot. So my mother and I, he, he never knew what our house was going to look like when he came home because we would always change it around. And she indulged me in that. But, and I didn't think, like you said, I didn't think it was ever going to be a career for me. It, was, it, was, it came later. My first degree is in finance. And, um, but corporate life wasn't for me at all. <laughs> so, but I, but I, I think in, in, in schools and in, you know, when I was growing up, you, schools, that, there were field trips. There were... You, you got exposed to things. And these kids now, I mean, the arts programs are, are being ripped out um, in record numbers. A lot of kids, I, I was just talking to a school administrator. They don't even have PE in schools anymore. I was like, what? And it, that, like, that's unheard of. And, and, you know, the arts programs are all but gone. So if you don't see that, if you don't, if you don't learn about that early on, it's a, it's a challenge, I can imagine, for, for those coming up. Because it just, it, it starts, you, you know it's in you very early. I'm sure Brian, like you said, you, you knew very early on. Um, but a lot of times, young kids don't have that guidance. And it, and it starts there. Yeah, it's opportunity. Um, I'm friends with the dean at uh, CyArk, and one of my best friends from Cornell is now the dean over at USC, and we had lunch the other day, and we were talking about this diversity in the school, like how it's shifting, who's enrolling. You know, college right now, it's so difficult to get into colleges. So, whereas designers may be creative, their scores might not be the highest to get into school, and it's just unfortunate that the way that the system is set up isn't necessarily for people to be creative and find their, their passion and their outlet. And I think it's up to us and all of you here who are conscious of this to sort of go back and, and mentor and, and share your experiences with young people because that's, that's one of the big concerns of mine. Um, I founded a nonprofit called Legacy Kids Project, where kids in the inner city get to develop projects for legacy in their community. So they get to design it, they get to execute it, and then we fund it for them. So it, it's the exposure, like Ron is saying, we've got to give them exposed to it. What are the opportunities? You know, I never thought I was going to get into Ivy League school. My <laughs> counselor was like, you're never going to get in. And what got me in was my talent, you know. Um, at 18, I was fortunate, exposure again, to be in an area where there was a competition for high school seniors, and whoever won the competition, their house got built. So 
I said, <laughs> in ninth grade, that's going to be me one day. And luckily, knock on wood, it happened. And so for me, it was just driving and pushing and believing in myself and knowing that there's a way, there is a way. Um, not every kid, especially in diverse communities, um, know that's even possible. And the way the media talks now, it's either, you know, it, it used to be sports, and now it's acting and it's music, you know? So the media moves kids around the different ways that is what you should be or what you should look like. And whether you're uh, African-American or white or whatever nationality or religion, that sort of drives them. Like their kids are playing Fortnite. I mean, I don't even know what Fortnite is, but is it gonna get them anywhere? Who knows, maybe it will, maybe it will. But the opportunity needs to be given to them so that they can actually see their possibilities. And that's what I encourage all of us to, to do, participate. I think that one of the realities about interior design is that it's sort of a luxury. Like, people who are hiring interior designers usually have an ability to fund that sort of a project and be able to do that. And I think because of the nature of design being born out of this luxury market, we're not always including it as available to the masses. It's not, it's not shown everywhere because it's sort of the thing the rich and famous have. At the same time, I think really there's also this entire juxtaposition where we all have human basic needs and one of those is shelter. Mm -hmm. And I think our grandmothers, our friends, they were the first homemakers. Like, some of the coolest things were made by hand out of a need to cover a window. <laughs> and so the more that we can bridge those things together, I think this whole DIY world is an area where we can really flourish because you know, everything's very farmhouse, and that's great. But DIY is also in textiles and in mediums and in art. And so I'd like to make more of that accessible because it's not a luxury thing to love how you feel in the place where you spend time. And if that's a small box, like, you know, the guys over here that are doing small, tiny houses have made this comeback, that creating a space that that you can thrive in, right? Like individually for our clients, they hire us because they want to thrive in the space. Like mm -hmm. it is approachable and it will improve your life. I think what we do helps people, but you can do it in 300 square feet. Mm -hmm. You know? Absolutely. I don't know. Absolutely. And, and also really what we're all talking about at some core is visibility and mm -hmm. people see, being able to see it and, and young people who are thinking of careers understanding that this is a possibility because there is, uh, you know, like you said, my grandmother used to quilt, and I'd, I always thought they were cool and loved them, and these quilts are beautiful. They're still beautiful, and she still has them, and, and there's uh, fractal geometry. There's some inherent DNA where it's like, African yes. villages are based on the most complex mathematics known, but you think you're just, walk, you know, I've walked through them and go, why is this perfect? And villages have 12 mothers, and there's just all of these things that are, 
through travel and DNA and, and work that adds an excellence to what we're striving for now. And I, I didn't know design was my first. I did it, but I didn't know it was a career. And I've done, I'm on my fifth career where <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I just started a co-working space for women. All about this, about access, who are doing different. But what I'm learning about having this space is the amazing work that is happening in small, quiet ways that doesn't necessarily have visibility. So I always think visibility, a home, a place to find each other is important, and then to amplify that, which social media does, people having conversations like this. But again, this has to be filtered through all of West Edge and not diversity hour, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, but it's a start. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, we got to wrap it up now. Is there any more questions? We want to make sure we touch on to all your questions. Yeah. One second. We're going to get you the mic. Now, I've been going to these design events for quite a while. I graduated school back at 83, licensed architecture 92. Yes. And I've been in the luxury space for since then, have my own business. And I've gone to many of these West Week events, LADQ, and... I never see black faces, rarely. And to have a panel like this is very inspiring to people who want to get into the profession, and I would encourage you to keep having these panels. But my question is, um, how would you, uh, what approach would you take, you mentioned mentoring, to get more diversity in the profession, in the luxury design space? Hiring. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> mentoring and hiring and hiring and then continue mentoring. So in my firm, uh, I started a mentorship program for everyone. Like to keep, you have to keep it going. And so people at my firm will tell their friends, hey, you should come over here because this is what they're doing to help us grow. And, you know, once you get to a certain age, you know, you realize it's not for you. It's for to pass on. And so whether you're in a college or at a high school or at one of these events, it's really to just share the possibilities for these kids. And if you have any information or knowledge that you're holding on to, please share, share, share any way you can. Yeah. Okay. Anything to add? Good. Oh, we're good. I want to say one thing. I want to thank all of you for being here and all of you who came in late. Thanks for staying. Um, I just met my colleagues here the first time today and I think they're fantastic. And Josh, I want to thank you for putting this up together because I've got friends for life and we're going to do some big things, I can tell, from this one panel. I know you are. And um, ladies and gentlemen, please a hand for our panelists. Thank you so much for participating. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Bridget, Brigan, Brian, and Ron for your time, talent, and participation. The takeaway from this is that there are more conversations needed. We need to be able to have open, honest exchanges of ideas without fear of saying the wrong thing. And while we're not there now, my hope is that by having more conversations like this, we will be soon. Thank you, Walker Zanger and Thermosol, for your support of Convo by Design. And thank you for listening to the show, subscribing to the podcast, and coming out to our events. There are more on the horizon. And there will always be diversity in the voices and stories you hear on Convo by Design. Thanks for listening. And until next week, keep creating and keep talking and keep listening. Mm -hmm.